Think about that. Most people associate Christmas with everything but that. But God was born, conceived in a virgin's womb. So we're going to look at that today. I'm going to talk to you about, it's usually called the Immaculate Conception, but I'm going to call it the impossible conception about the real Christmas, the true Christmas. Because as she was just singing, God was born in a virgin's womb. Think about that. Most people associate Christmas with everything but that. But God was born, conceived in a virgin's womb. So we're going to look at that today. I'm going to talk to you about, it's usually called the Immaculate Conception, but I'm going to call it the Impossible Conception. Because that's really what it was, an impossible conception. And God did it. And so let's read, first of all, from the great prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to what he says. Therefore, now he's predicting centuries down the tunnel of time. The Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. Wow. The virgin will conceive. And give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, that was fulfilled. And it says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant. How? Read it with me. Through the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like I said, we're on miracle ground. This is not normal. Father, we just thank you right now for the power of the Christmas story. And Lord, we thank you for sowing the seed of this truth deeper in us than we have ever known it. Lord, we say... Along with that song, may this truth be born in us. And thank you for helping us to preach this truth around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to warm up. Turn to somebody and say, Merry Christmas. God bless you. Amen. Well, we've had a great weekend, and it's good seeing all of you. And... Um, You know, I love this time of year. There's just something magic about it, but there's a reason, because it is a miracle season. The story of Jesus Christ is sandwiched between two great miracles, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. I want you to think about that. You can't get near real Christianity without being confronted with two great, astounding, fantastic claims from the Bible. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb a miraculous conception, and a miraculous resurrection. Christianity stands on those two legs. Those two legs are what Christianity walks on. It's not just good works, doing good things for people, uh, being nice, none of that. Christianity walks on those two miracle legs, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. So if you don't believe in miracles, you're in trouble when it comes to Christianity. As a matter of fact, I want to ask you today, do you believe in miracles? Now, now most of our church is going to say real quick, yes, and that's fine. Of course I do, you say. Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever personally seen a miracle, a real miracle? Have you ever seen one? 
Now, people who are kind of on the periphery of church or may not consider themselves real religious might answer in kind of poetic terms and say, well, I think all of life is a miracle. Doesn't that sound pretty? All of life is a miracle. And that's true. Life is a miracle. But that's not what I'm talking about. Or somebody might say, yeah, I saw a miracle when the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. That was a miracle. And may God give us, hey, I'm waiting to see another one of those miracles. Amen? But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about a miracle. When it uses the word miracle, it's not talking about things like that. Let me tell you what a Bible miracle is. A Bible miracle is when something happens that is contrary to natural law. In other words, it shouldn't happen. It never happens. It would never happen apart from a supernatural influence. Totally beyond the norm. Otherwise impossible. It defies natural explanation. A real miracle is a jaw dropper. A real miracle we have trouble with because we don't know what to do with it. How can this be? A real miracle can, can drive some people crazy because they can't figure it into a logical scheme of things. Those who look at everything rationally don't know how to deal with a miracle. So when you know that I'm talking about that kind of miracle, it's contrary to natural law. It's otherwise impossible. It defies natural explanation. You might say, well, yeah, I believe in that kind of a miracle too, but there's a little bit of hesitancy in you now. Because deep down inside of you, you're not sure about that. Do those kinds of things really happen? A genuine secular scientist who might be sitting in here today would say, no way, there's no such thing as a miracle like that. Everything is explainable. Well, I agree, everything is explainable. But sometimes the explanation is God. When they do happen, they're very hard to believe in. And you know, even in the Bible, those kind of miracles, defying natural explanation and contrary to natural law, don't happen all the time. The Bible is primarily stories of people uh, whose lives are, are invaded by, intervened by God from time to time. But, but the Bible um, is full of more normal life than it is miracles. So when you're talking about that kind of miracle, I want you to know today that the virgin birth is that kind of miracle. It defies natural law. There is no explanation for it. A virgin shall conceive? What are you telling me? That's impossible. There has to be a father. There was, but not a human one. And while we speak of the virgin birth, let me be sure we understand one another, and I'll tell you what the virgin birth really means. We mean that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of his mother Mary without the agency of a human father. That's the claim of the Bible. And there's a lot of church people who don't know that. There's a lot of church people or religious people, they go to church all the time. But if you say, do you believe in the virgin birth? They choke. But the fact of the matter is, that's Christianity in the raw, the virgin birth. And while we speak of virgin born, the actual miracle was not in his birth The miracle was the conception. That's where the miracle lies. The angel said to Joseph, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So Joseph, you can relax. Yes, your fiance is pregnant, but it's of God. 
Can you imagine Joseph saying, oh, really? Can you imagine Mary's dilemma? How in the world do I explain this? I can just imagine a little teenager, Jewish girl, about 15 years old, telling people, yes, I, I am pregnant, and no, it's not Joseph, but, but God did it. Uh-huh. Sure. But this was not normal. This was not typical. This was unprecedented. Larry King, the one-time CNN talk show host, was once asked who he would most want to interview if he could choose anybody from all of history, and he immediately said, Jesus Christ. The questioner said, well, what would you like to ask Jesus Christ? And King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. And I want to say to Larry, Larry, he was virgin born and it did define history. It was the most defining moment in all the history of the world, the miraculous conception, because that is when God became a man. It's a great mystery and it's a great miracle, but it happened. And when you talk about the virgin birth, I mean, history and is, is filled with doubters of that miracle. Some believe the virgin birth may have been copied from a Roman fable. You're going to get that from a lot of college professors and whatnot, academia. They're going to say, oh, they got that from a, from a, a Roman fable. Others teach that the virgin birth story is an allegory. It's a metaphor. It was never meant to be interpreted literally, but the only problem with that is the Bible doesn't give it to us as a metaphor or an allegory. It gives it to us as a historical fact. It makes the claim bold-faced, without blushing, he was born of a virgin. A virgin conceived. Say, so, well, you've got some doubt. Maybe some of our listeners on radio have doubt. So how should an honest doubter approach the Bible's claims on the virgin birth? I really believe there's an answer to that. I believe that all that God asks of us is that we give the story of the virgin birth the same shot we give any other story that seems fantastic. Give it the benefit of the doubt. The Christmas story ought to be given the same treatment as any other story. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't know of any other story that, uh, as fantastic as that. Yes, you do. Evolution. You gave evolution a chance, didn't you? You sat there, uh, and I did too, all of us little mush minds sitting in school, and a teacher who was educated stood up and said, we all came from monkeys. And that one day there was a big bang. And we were told that when the big bang happened, it blew up rocks that produced 1.4 million different complex life forms. Fish, animals, insects, birds, and human beings, all male and female, all reproducible, and all reproducing after their own kind, as well as trees and incredible fruits and myriads of beautiful flowers and oxygen that we breathe and oceans that we swim in, the four seasons, and a million and one other wonderful things. And we sit there and we sat there and we listened to it and we believed every word though there's no scientific proof whatsoever. I hate to pop your bubble, but to this day, it is unproven science. To this day, there has never been a missing link found. To this day, evolution stands on shakier legs than ever since Darwin wrote Origin of Species. To this day, evolution has never proven origin. Well, how dare you talk about evolution that way? Yes, that's our culture's sacred cow. But guess what? 
If you believe in evolution, you believe in miracles. And I, as a believer in creationism, and so I believe in miracles, want to welcome all of you miracle-believing evolutionists into our fold. Every evolutionist believes in miracles like an argument. Oh, I'm a scientist. No, if you believe in evolution, you believe in a miracle. And if you believe that we came from monkeys, evolution made a monkey out of you. <laughs> My Bible gives me origins in the beginning. When the beginning began, God said, let there be. Evolution gives no origin no source, no way that it could ever have happened except through endless billions of years and chance. So evolutionists put all their faith in time and chance and believe in that miracle. All right, go ahead. For me, my faith takes less faith than yours. And I say that in love because I used to believe in evolution until God showed me that I was custom designed and so are you. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made, not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. And speaking of doubters, I've dealt with two kinds in my life. I've talked to a lot of people, been in the ministry a long time. I've talked to two kinds of doubters in the realm of spiritual truth. And, and, and the first kind are what I would call hardcore rationalists who said, I don't believe it. No matter what you show me or tell me, I will never believe it. And I've noticed that these people enjoyed their doubt. They talked about it. They laughed about it. They reveled in their doubt. And they get angry when you refute them. I also found that a person like that is not looking for answers. They're looking for an argument. And I've learned to walk away when they're that way. But there's a second kind of doubter. The second kind of doubter is the honest doubter. What I just want to call the honest doubter. The honest doubter says, I don't believe. I have trouble with that claim, but I'm willing to believe it if I can see for myself. I have taken honest doubts to God. And God has never failed to answer me when I had an honest doubt and asked him to explain something to me. And believe me, there have been times in my Christian walk where I came up against something I did not understand and that really messed with my head. But when I took it to God and I really wanted an answer, I found that the great teacher, the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever, brought, sometimes miraculously, brought the answer to my doubt and settled it for me. Thomas was an honest doubter. He was not an unbelieving skeptic. He was a wounded believer. He had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle, but when Jesus died on the cross and was beaten beyond recognition and didn't take over the Roman world and, and did not rule the earth with a, a scepter of iron and, and did not do what he thought he was going to do, and when they took him down and buried him in a tomb, Thomas stumbled and his faith failed. And when some women came to him and said, we saw him risen, he said, he said these words, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know what Jesus did? He obliged him. He walked through a closed door, stood in front of him and said, Thomas, here, put your hand in my side. Here's the hand. Put your finger in the hand. You know what Thomas ended up saying? My Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. What did Jesus do? He answered an honest doubter. And I got good news for you doubters because I got some in here today, I'm sure. 
in the history of the Christian church, the greatest doubters have become the strongest believers. Did you know that? Sometimes those who have the strongest doubts, once they get answered, have the strongest faith. Now I want to explore three questions today surrounding the virgin birth that I think will help all of us. First, how did the conception happen? How did that miracle happen? Second, why did Jesus even need to be born of a virgin? Third, why in the world does any of this matter to me? I just want to enjoy Christmas. Let me answer them first. How did the impossible conception happen? You know, you're not alone. Mary wanted to know the same thing. The Bible says that an angel visited Mary. Oops, there's another miracle. There's an angel involved. Just grab your seat. Because there was a real angel, a supernatural being that appeared to Mary and said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Well, so far, so good. Nothing miraculous yet. I'm going to conceive and I'm going to bear a son. And the angel wants me to name him Jesus. Okay. But then he went from possible to impossible. He will be great and he will be called literally the son of God. Uh-oh. Now you're dealing with a miracle. You're telling me that I'm going to give birth to God's son. Flabbergasted, and rightly so, Mary said, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel told her how the impossible conception would take place. Get this. This is so powerful. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest is going to overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son, literally, of God. The impossible conception, said the angel, would be the direct work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about not a normal man, not a normal conception, not a normal male, not a normal arrival, not a normal human being, but one whose father is literally God. Not an earthly man. He said the power of the highest is going to overshadow you, Mary, and, and that's when it's going to happen. This means that the body of Jesus would be created by the direct power of God. Now that's a miracle. That's God intervening in normal human affairs and defying natural law and doing something that has never happened before or since. The impossible conception would take place suddenly and the Holy Spirit himself would be the grand operator. That's powerful. Now, I thought about that word overshadow and I was able to track it back to Genesis 1-2. The word overshadow takes us back to the Spirit of God brooding over the face of the waters to bring forth life. Listen to what Genesis 1-2 says. The earth was without form and void in the very beginning because there was a beginning when the beginning began. This earth had a beginning and here it is. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding, overshadowing the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be, and he spoke light first into existence. 
So notice that preceding creation, there was the brooding, hovering, overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit. And so before God creates anything, the Holy Spirit is there. And so one day there's Mary. No one where she was, maybe in her house somewhere. And suddenly the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, just like the angel said he would. And in the presence of that overshadowing, guess what? God said, let there be. Let there be. And the female egg was touched by the Spirit of God. And she conceived, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Now, you have trouble with that? Remember, you're an evolutionist, some of you. If you have trouble with that, listen, it's a miracle, but the Bible claims this. And so that holy thing conceived in her is called the very Son of God. And that's what happened in the impossible, immaculate, improbable conception. Now, you might be thinking, well, why in the world would God need to go to all that trouble? Why not just raise up somebody like Gideon or somebody else like he did all through the Bible? Why in the world would he have to go to all this trouble? Why not just send an angel? Why not raise up a Samson or somebody else and, and, and just deal with this? Why did he have to go to all this trouble? Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Well, the Bible tells us why. When Adam fell into sin, two things happened that really matter to you and me. First, sin was visited onto the whole human race when Adam fell. There's a book, real popular, came out and said, I'm okay, you're okay. And I'm going to tell you that's not okay because it's not right. Because we're not okay. The whole human race has a disease and it's called sin. And if I went on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, any of those and said this, that long cane would come out and take me around the neck and pull me off the stage. Because our culture doesn't like to admit that anything's wrong. We think we're getting better. We think we're evolving into a better place and we are very deceived. Because we're not. We are sinners and we are spiraling down to a level of sin in this nation that I have never witnessed in my entire life. We're not getting better, we're getting worse. We're not evolving, we're devolving. God needs to move. And, and, and the beginning of any move of God is when you admit, I've got a sin problem. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, this is what happened. Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. When Adam sinned, the head of the human race, sin came onto the whole world and the whole creation was affected immediately. Verse 16 says, God told Adam he was guilty because of his sin. And through this one man, Adam came sin and guilt on the whole human race. Sin rocked the entire created universe. Sin came on like a steamroller. And with sin came death. Romans 5.12 says sin brought death with it. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Listen, death was never God's plan. We're, we're a large church. And, and, and in one week, I have performed three funerals. In one week, and every time I do that, you'll have a casket down here. And every time I finish, I walk down, I stand at the head of the casket, and I wait for the family to go by. And, and, and there's the body. There it is. And every time I do that, I think this was never God's plan. And I want you folks to know it was never God's original plan. See, God didn't give death. Sin brought death. God did not give death. Sin brought death. 
Sin brought death to the human race. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. It says in verse 18, through Adam's sin, death and condemnation came to all men. It, it, back in Adam's day when Adam sinned, it took a while for sin to take its toll on the human race because after Adam, men were living 800, 900 years old. Methuselah, I think, made it to 968 years, something like that. He almost lived a millennium. He didn't start dating till he was 500 years old. Hey, baby, I'm in high school now. You want to go out? Been around a while. But then you see sin taking its toll on the human race. And till you hear David talking about making it your three score and 10. If you get your three score and 10, 70 years, God's blessed you. So sin took its toll because through sin came death. And through sin came condemnation. And the second thing that happened that we need to understand today when Adam fell is not only did sin and condemnation and death come to us, but our nature was changed. Our nature was changed when Adam fell. We received and inherited a fallen nature with him. That means a nature that naturally sins. Listen to the Bible's description of our true condition. According to God, here's our diagnosis. It says in Romans, there is not one person who is right with God. No, not even one. There is not one who understands. There is not one who tries to find God. Everybody has turned away from God. They have all done wrong. Not one of them does what is good. No, not even one. Do you hear the not even one? Not one, not any, all. He puts every human being on earth under the condemnation of sin. And notice that he uses verbs. No one tries to find God because their nature has fallen. Everyone has turned away from God because their nature has fallen. They have all done wrong because their nature has fallen. Not one of them does what is good because their nature has fallen. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. You must receive a new nature. You must receive a new person on the inside of you. And he wasn't talking about a New Year's resolution. He wasn't talking about intense rehab. He was not talking about turning over a new leaf. He was saying, you, have, you need surgery on your heart. You need to be a new man. So I tell you, born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. So when Adam fell, he being the head of the human race, we all fell with him, becoming guilty of sin through Adam and by becoming sinners ourselves with a fallen nature. Have you ever noticed you never had to teach your child how to lie? You never had to say, now, son, let me tell you how to tell a good lie. You are always having to teach them to do what? Tell the, because they naturally, and who taught them to? Adam. Adam did. You say, well, well, pastor, that leaves us in bad condition. We're in bad shape. What now? I mean, we're under the condemnation of sin and, 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 and we, we've got fallen natures. What are we going to do now? Our, our dilemma is bad. What's the answer? The only way that God could save us was by the sacrificial death of an unguilty party. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
Unless there is blood shed, there is no washing away of sin. You can't get rid of sin without the shedding of blood. And God taught the first couple that in the, in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, he slew an animal. He killed an animal and brought them the skin and covered their sin, figuratively speaking. And God taught them way back then, unless blood is shed, there's no forgiveness of sin. You can't get rid of sin. Didn't Shakespeare create that character that was trying to wash his hands and say, out, spot, and couldn't wash the sin away because you can't. Lie soap won't get rid of it. Doing good deeds won't get rid of it. How in the world are we going to get rid of our sin? How are we going to deal with this fallen nature? Somebody would have to be born whose father was an unguilty party. Disconnected completely from the curse of Adam, from his bloodline. And how could this be done? Because every man was born guilty. So what are we going to do? Every man was born guilty. So what's the answer? The only solution was for the curse of Adam to be circumvented by someone being born that did not carry his guilt and did not have his fallen nature. This would require somebody being born totally disconnected from Adam's bloodline. The only way this could be accomplished was for this person to be conceived by an unguilty, unstained party. Well, the only party in the universe not guilty is God. God himself. So to circumvent Adam's curse, the father of this person whose blood would be shed for us would have to be God. He's the only one who's not guilty. Thus God decreed the impossible, immaculate conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will cover you. The holy child you give birth to will be called the Son of God. He won't have a human father. I will be his father. So he will not be connected to Adam's guilt or Adam's fallen nature. So when Jesus died on the cross and his precious blood spilled down that old wooden tree, you know what God said to the devil? Checkmate. Checkmate. Gotcha. Because you just instigated the crucifixion of an innocent man. We stand on holy ground in the Christmas story. A miracle happened so that God could bring blood shed for our sins that was pure. Now, why does this matter to you and me? Why should I even bother with it? Because what are you going to do with your sin? Well, pastor, I don't really, you know, you're a good speaker and I really appreciate everything you're saying, but I don't think I have sin. Well, the Bible already told you you have sin. The Bible says you have sin. What are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to think it away? Are you going to work it away? Are you going to earn your way out? What are you going to do with your sin? You're going to give it to somebody else? You can't do that. It's your sin. What are you going to do with your sin? Because everybody's going to have to face that one day. Now, I want you to picture to my right a cross. There's a cross right there, the cross of Christ. It's right here on my right. And over here is a throne. And in that throne is God. Sitting in that throne is God. Now, I have only two choices what to do with my sin. I can take it here to the cross and I can unload it. 
Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died for me. Yours was the blood that was pure enough and holy enough and unstained by Adam's bloodline. So I ask you to forgive me. And he, he, he took your sin right there on that cross. It's washed away. And if you put your faith in him, then the load of guilt and shame and condemnation falls off of you right here at that cross. You can't go to Muhammad and get, get rid of it. You can't go to Buddha and get rid of it. You can't go to Krishna and get rid of it. You can't do good deeds and get rid of it. Only there was it dealt with. Or you can keep it, walk around your whole life, bow-backed, carrying that heavy load. It gets worse by the day, worse by the week, worse by the month, worse by the year. It wrinkles you. It takes your sleep away. You don't have any peace. Your life is hollow. It's empty. You can walk around that way. But when you get to the throne, you're going to have to pay for it. You can let him pay for it or you can pay for it. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? I told you why. Why did God send him? Because we needed to be saved. And what's going to happen if you don't take it there? You're going to take it here. There's going to be a great white throne. And on that throne sits God. And he's going to show you a movie. It's on a loop. It plays back. God hits rewind. And everything you've done, said, those times when you could have gone here and somebody told you about here and you had a chance to go here and you didn't go there, it plays back. I only had one answer for you, child. It was the cross. It plays back. And then you got to pay for it because you didn't let him pay for it. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sin away. What are you going to do with your sin? That's why Christmas matters. And guess what? You go here, you go over here, and you give your sin to him, and you say, Lord, forgive me. Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is overshadowing that place right there. And the eternal seed of the word of God is sown into your spirit. And you go from death to life, from lost to found in the blink of an eye. It's not based on your performance. It's based on what he's already done. And it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a whole new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. What a great deal. You can unload it right here, or you can carry it the rest of your life and pay for it here. I don't know about you, but that's the, that's the deal of the year. That right there, the cross. Thank God for the cross. Can we stand together today? So we have two kinds of people in here right now. Those who have unloaded it here or those who are carrying it here. And I want to encourage you. What a great Christmas it would be if the babe born in Bethlehem was born in your heart. 
I did it 43 years ago in jail. I heard this message. And I went to him and I prayed. And that night, God gave me his forgiveness and his spirit. And he's walked with me all these years. He wants to walk with you. Can we bow for a moment? If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord. But I have drifted. And you know, I'm not here to condemn you. I know what it is to drift. And I know how hollow and unfulfilling it is. The place of joy is in the center of his will. And my sharing this message today is only a confirmation to you of what the Holy Spirit's already been telling you. He's already been telling you that you need to come home. And I love you. I'm not condemning you. But I want to call you to come to him. And some of you have a question mark in your mind. Have I ever really been born again? Have I ever really experienced that new nature? Have I ever called out on him? Have I ever walked to that cross and repented of all my sin and asked him to come in? You can do it right now today. You can, there's no reason why you shouldn't. And I've prayed for you that God will touch you today. We've had in every service many people come down and give their hearts to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. You can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. Will you let me pray with you? Forget about the people here. They don't matter. What matters is God. If you can say, that's me, Pastor Jeff. I'm in one of those two categories. I'll let you pray. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. Let me see you. God bless you. Many of you, many of you. I believe there's many in here today. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to come down to this altar. I want to shake your hand. I want to meet you, and I want to pray with you. Don't worry about what people think. Come now. Come quickly. Just tell your feet to begin to walk. You take one step, and the Holy Spirit's overshadowing you, and he's going to bring a miracle in your life. So I want you to come now. Come quickly. Just begin to walk. Don't give the enemy five seconds to talk you out of it. You come now, and we're going to believe God to touch you in Jesus' name. Let's sing. And you come, everybody. Come from all over the place. We're going to believe God to touch you in the name of the Lord.